0: Welcome to the Grace Life Fellowship Podcast. Today we'll hear again from Pastor Frank as he continues his series, Live Free, A Study of Galatians. Today's message is called Set Free to Love. If you'd like to hear the series from the beginning, I would suggest going back to episode two where he begins the series. Okay, here's Pastor Frank. turning our bibles to galatians chapter 5 for the first time the doctrine of grace is a dangerous message so says the legalist if you remove the law from the life of a believer what are we going to have to restrain sin oh frank you know the message of grace leads to license I have had people in my office, my friends, who have blamed me for the sin that either they or their spouse has committed, and they've blamed me for teaching grace. if If I hadn't been teaching so much grace, they wouldn't have done what they did. You know, it's so very sad for those who speak words like that because it reveals their complete and total misunderstanding of what the New Testament teaches. First of all is the mistaken belief that the law restrains sin. It does not. That, my friends, is a lie. When God gave the law, nowhere in his word does it say that he provided us with any semblance of power to be able to keep the law. As one has well said, quote, run, John, run, the law demands, but gives him neither feet nor hands. The reality is that when it comes to keeping the law, we're left to our own resources and our resources aren't up to the demand. That's why Romans chapter three says, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, but through the law does come the knowledge of sin." The law reveals sin. It heralds to us what sin is, and it condemns us for sinning. But the law does not restrain sin because it cannot restrain sin. If you just go to Romans chapter 7, it's so very clear there. You will learn that wherever you have the law, which is holy, perfect, and good, you also have this evil entity called the power of sin lurking around. And it's the power of sin that will use the law to stir up more sin. Paul said in that passage, I didn't know what coveting was. But boy, when that law came in, thou shalt not covet it. The sin which is in me used the law to produce in me all manner of coveting. Case in point, I'm going to give you a law. Do not eat the cookie. Now, most of you right now have not even thought about a cookie for the last half hour, but some of you are probably thinking about it right now. Knowing some of you, you'll probably try to sneak out early and get home. Do not eat the cookie. Do not eat the cookie. Do not eat the cookie. The more you say it, the more the power of sin makes you think about doing it. And what are you going to do when you get home, gang? You're going to eat the, no, you're not. You're going to eat half the bag. Romans 7 (laughs) says the law uses sin to produce even more sin. The law doesn't restrain sin. It actually becomes the instrument by which the power of sin causes more sin. God himself said this in Romans chapter 5, verse 19. He said the law came in that sin would increase. And I believe he did that so that we would get sick of the law and cry out for a better way to do life. It's so sad, my friends, that so many believers don't understand this. I don't know if I'll ever forget the pastor who came to visit me many years ago. Here in town, he came to correct my theology of grace. And for many months, we would meet on a weekly basis and he would give me his reason and his rationale and I would turn him to the scriptures. And finally, after many, many months, this is what he said. He came into my office and he said, all right, I see it. I give up. We are not under law. We are under grace. I wanted to say, you know, I heard that somewhere, like Romans chapter 6. But I didn't say it. What I did say was, that's so exciting. But then he added this. But I want you to know, Frank, I will never teach it. And I said, really? Why not? And he said, because my people would run naked through the streets. And I had to address that. First of all, I told him, they're not your people. They never have been. They belong to Jesus Christ. And he says he's able to make them stand. And the second thing I want to tell you is I'm not worried about the people at all. I'm worried about you. He said, why is that? I said, because you're the one that had the thought of running naked through the streets. (laughs) And that tells me you have really no understanding of the words that just came out of your mouth. Your words betray that you don't understand what the New Testament is teaching. Romans chapter 6 says, It is for the very reason that we are not under law, but under grace, that we're able to not sin. In the new covenant economy, my friends, we have better restrainers. One of those restrainers is we ourselves. In the new covenant, God took away that old nasty self that we were, and he gave us a brand new self with a brand new heart that wants to please God. New covenant believers do not want to sin. Their flesh wants to, but not them. The truth is you are your own restrainer. And the other restrainer is, of course, the Holy Spirit, not as he only made us new. He made us new so that he could come to live inside of us, to live his life in and through us as we trust him. You know, as I meditate on that, I think that's what the real issue is for a lot of these legalistic people. They really do not believe the Holy Spirit can be trusted. They really don't believe he's up to the demand. Philippians chapter 1 says, he who began the good work in you, he will be the one to perfect it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I love this verse. "Is faithful is he who calls you, and he will do it. This may shock you, my friends, but the goal of the Christian life is not to stop sinning. The goal of the Christian life is to experience the life of God in you to its fullness. And that will fill you so full of the life of God, there'll be no room for sin. Now, please understand me and please hear me here. Trusting the Holy Spirit is not an easy thing to do. Part of it is this issue of Psalm 139. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. I do that every morning when I get up and look in the mirror. I, that's fearfully and wonderfully made right there. <laughs> Romans, uh, Psalm, chapter, Psalm 8, we were created with dignity and majesty and honor to rule with God. That passage says we were made just a little lower than God himself. We are incredible. We're fantastic. And even though we show up on this planet in a fallen state, there is still that vestige of fantasticness to us. And the danger, I think, is that we're so fantastically created, we can trust our own fantasticness, if you will, instead of the Holy Spirit. We can trust what we see instead of him whom we can't see. And so we all need to put at the forefront of our minds the truth of Romans 8, 3, and 4. That what the law could not do and that it was weak through our flesh, God did. He sent his own son, purpose clause, so that, look at the language, the righteousness of the law would be fulfilled in us who do not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. Our efforts through the law will never make us righteous. Only the Spirit can produce righteousness. Because only the Spirit has a righteous life to begin with that He shares with us as we trust Him by faith. And so our responsibility in living the Christian life is not to try to manufacture a cheap imitation of the life of Jesus produced by the law, but to trust the Holy Spirit to produce His righteous life in and through us by grace through faith. Again, I don't know if I'll ever forget this time a church. They called me many years ago. It was a rather large church, could be called a mega church. And they told me on the phone that they wanted to be the flagship church of America when it comes to the grace of God. They wanted to have a national radio ministry and a national TV ministry. And they had talked to a lot of people. In doing so, they came to the conclusion that I was the one to fulfill that position to accomplish their vision of grace. And I've gotta be honest with you, as hard as it would have been to leave here, that vision captured my heart. I mean, after all, gang, the goal is to reach as many people as possible with this message, right? So we began to talk further because it was an incredible opportunity to reach so many. But as our discussions progressed, we encountered a problem. Just one. They wanted me to teach tithing. And I said, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. Tithing was an old covenant requirement to support the theocracy, the nation of Israel, and has nothing to do with the church. They asked me at that point, well, how do you do giving at your church? I said, well, we do grace giving. They said, what's that? What's 2 Corinthians chapter 9? You know, God's word? Says there, the people of God don't give under compulsion. They give freely from the heart as they purpose in their heart. And they do it in joyful response to God in worship for what He has done for them. They asked me, what about meeting your budget? How do you do that? I said, Well, we trust the Holy Spirit. And you got to love their response. They said, Oh, we could never do that. <laughs> and so we had to part ways. You know, it's, it's funny. In our final discussion, this is what they said to me Well, we want to be the flagship church of grace, but we also want to be Baptist. I said, well, my friends, that's like wanting to be free, but not too free. (laughs) You know, it's so sad when it comes to living the Christian life, my friends, I find so many believers who try to live the Christian life out of their own resources in an attempt to follow the law instead of trusting the Holy Spirit who alone can live the Christ life in and through them as they lay hold of him by faith. And so today we come to chapter five of this book, where Paul's gonna lead us into a huge change of emphasis. Up to now, this book for four chapters has been largely doctrinal. And because it has been doctrinal, it has been very confrontational. False teachers have entered into the assembly and they've been perverting the gospel. If you were with us in chapter one, you remember that was a very specific word and it meant reversing the gospel. By adding law, by adding works that we have to do, it was causing the believers in Galatia to turn 180 degrees away from Jesus to the law. All it takes is one law, and you have changed directions. And so Paul fought hard, gang, for four chapters to herald that when we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus, he set us free. End of discussion. Free from the law, free from guilt, free from shame, free from condemnation, free from achieving. Free from achieving takes our eyes off of other people that we very often perform for, so we ultimately are free from other people. And the ultimate freedom of all we're in an economy of achieving, ultimately, our eyes are not fixed on the command, but on how well we keep the command or how much we fail in the command. And so ultimately, it's a freedom from ourselves. Free to not take ourselves so seriously and free to begin to rest and enjoy life. Galatians 5:1. it was for freedom that Christ died to make us free. Do not... Be enslaved again to a yoke and keep standing firm in your freedom. Beginning in chapter five, though, we shift in emphasis. And this is very, very important. Ours is not only a freedom from, it's also a freedom to. It's being set free to God free to experience and express the life of God as the Holy Spirit lives it in and through us. We need to make a connection between two verses in two different books of the New Testament. Listen closely. Galatians 5.1 says it was for freedom that Christ died to make us free. But 2 Corinthians 3.17 adds, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I trust you just saw it. Jesus secures our freedom, but it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to experience it. And so from the doctrinal and the confrontational, we're going to move from this point forward in the book of Galatians to the relational, to a life that is lived in intimate pursuit of an experience of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to impart his life to us, to express it through us. And it is a life that is lived in love. The great glory of chapter five and six, my friends, we get set free to love. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this book which has been for us over the last couple of months a declaration of independence. And we needed it so desperately to be set free from guilt and shame and condemnation, to be set free from the law which we could never fulfill. And now, Father, we learn that it's a declaration also of dependence where we've been set free to find you and trust you through the person of the Holy Spirit so that we might enjoy the life that you have for us, a life that is abundant and free. So open our eyes as we change this emphasis now that we would be consumed literally with all that you want to be in our lives. We trust you for that, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna break this passage down into three simple points of emphasis. The first in verses two through four, which is the consequences for a believer of turning back to the law. Look at verse one. He says, behold, that is a very strong word. It means wake up, pay attention. What I'm about to share with you is very, very important. You can't live without this. Behold, and then what does he say? I, Paul. I, Paul. Double emphasis for twofold understanding. As Saul, he was the former Pharisee, member of the Sanhedrin, the expert in the law. And so in essence there, he's saying, If you want to talk about law, I can talk about law. I get it. But he's also Paul, the champion of grace, the apostle of the new covenant. He's then the one who is uniquely qualified to talk about law and grace and how those two things function and how they must be kept mutually distinct and separate from each other. This man. The one who knows law, the one who knows grace, says to you, and that's a very important you, who's he talking to? He's talking to the Galatian Christians, believers. Get this in your mind, my friends. He has called them brethren nine times in this book. He has called them sons of God, which means they have an inheritance from God. He's declared that they have the Holy Spirit inside of them who leads them to cry out that God is their Papa. Jesus has made them rich, 2 Corinthians 8. They possess the unsearchable riches of Christ, Ephesians chapter 3. They are complete, to the max, filled up in Christ, Colossians chapter 2. 2 Peter 1, one of those mind-boggling verses in the entire Bible. We have become partakers of the divine nature. We didn't become God, that's heresy. God didn't become us, that's heresy. But God came in us to fill us full to overflowing, like a cup sitting under a faucet that's turned on full blast. This is the life we live, filled and overflowing, The result, nothing more can be given to us. How do you put something more into an already full vessel? Nothing can be taken away from us. We are perpetually full. We're secure in Christ and all that we possess is secure in Christ. However, look at the language of verses two through four. What does he say? I say unto you that if you get circumcised, Jesus will profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to the whole law and Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you will have fallen from grace. How are we to understand that? I think to help us, we're gonna reorganize Paul's thoughts to get them securely in our minds. We're gonna put together two phrases, one from verse two and one from verse four. In verse two, he says this, if you as a believer go and get circumcised, that's verse two. Verse four, put it together you who are seeking to be justified by law. So why are they gonna go get circumcised as a believer? Because they are buying the false teachers that by doing so, they will add more righteousness and merit and acceptableness of themselves before God. In other words, they called into question the finished work of Christ. It's not what he has done. We have got to go do something. So the purpose for which they're gonna go get circumcised is to merit righteousness. Righteousness. And now Paul adds some commentary in verse 3, Deuteronomy 27, 26. You do realize, my friends, that when you choose to follow even one law, you're obligated to keep the whole law. And you have chosen an entirely different system from grace, i.e. receiving, and you must now order your whole life within that system you have chosen, achieving, which is law. When you do that as a believer, look what he says in verses 2 and 4. Again, we're going to put these phrases together. Jesus will be of no benefit to you. You will have been severed from Jesus and you have fallen from grace. How are we to explain that? We do know, don't we, that that does not mean we're gonna lose our salvation or lose our inheritance. That's impossible. Romans chapter eight says, nothing can ever separate us from Jesus Christ. Nothing. He says, not any created thing. Nothing. There's only two things in the universe, the creator and that which created. (laughs) And none of that which is created can separate you. And he, the creator, says, I never, never leave you or forsake you. We're secure. John 10, Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. I remember sharing that verse with a guy who thought he could lose his salvation. You know what he told me? No, but I can jump out of his hand. (laughs) I say, you that arrogant that you think your ability to jump out of God's hand is greater than God's ability to hold on to you? We're secure. And what we possess is secure. Boy, I missed Don Driscoll today. Where is he? Somebody. All right, thank you. So how are we to explain this then, that Jesus will be of no benefit, you will have been severed from Jesus, and you have fallen from grace? What do those words mean? Very simply this, when we look to the law, we do not lose what we possess, but we will not in the moment be experiencing what we possess. Let me say it again. When we as a believer who are full of the living Christ choose to look at the law as a means to add something to the work of Christ, we do not lose what we possess, but we will not be experiencing what we possess. We need an illustration. So I racked my brain. Here's what I got a boombox. You say, What's a boombox? They were introduced in the 1970s. They erupted in popularity in the 1980s. I looked on Wikipedia and guess what it said? They were a status symbol, which is why I still own one today. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get significance somehow. For those of you poor people who didn't grow up with the boombox, they were a loud, a, a large, portable radio or cassette player with big speakers. You say, what's a cassette? Go ask your mother later. (laughs) We have no time to explain what that was. Go Google it. The key for a boombox, and this is very important, is they had two power sources. They had a plug that you could plug into the wall for an AC current, which was virtually an unlimited power source, unless you had a power failure. Now watch this. They also had batteries. They had a battery compartment. You could put batteries in it and take it with you if you turned the switch from alternating current to battery power. Now here's where we got to pay close attention. If you plug your boombox into the wall socket and then you put batteries in the battery compartment and turn the switch from AC to battery without unplugging the plug. Do you see it? You are still plugged into an unlimited power source, but you are not availing yourself of that power. You are now running on batteries instead. That alternating current, to use the language of Galatians 5, is of no benefit to you. You've been cut off from that power source. You have fallen from that power source, even though you're still plugged into it. See it? It's exactly what happens to the believer when we turn the law. We will not be experiencing the benefit of all that we have because we're failing to avail ourselves of all that we have, choosing instead an alternate source of life and righteousness. Got to get this in our brains. Law and grace, achieving and receiving, faith and works are two different economies, two different roads. And it is impossible to walk in two roads at the same time. If you add one law to grace, my friends, you're no longer walking in grace. You will have fallen. Wonderful Greek word. You might want to circle it. Ekpipto. It means to lose your grip. What a great word picture. You're holding on. But now you're going to hold on to something else. You've lost your grip on what you originally had. But you still have it. See, when it comes to law and grace, you've got to choose. Which road you're going to be on, which source of life you're going to draw from. And so, the consequences of turning back to the law as a believer you possess all things, but you won't be experiencing them. Secondly, Paul puts forth the consecrating power of the Holy Spirit, verses five and six. For we, through the Spirit by faith, stop right there. Did you see what Paul did? It's really wonderful. What a shepherd. He said we. See, Frank, why is that so important? He's including the Galatians in what he's about to say. That is so huge. For four chapters, he's been telling us how they tolerate his false teachers. He's been telling us that they were turning to the law. He tells us that in turning from the law, they've been turning away from Jesus. They're already following holy days and holy foods. And now they're contemplating pursuing circumcision to merit themselves more righteous. How many of you know that as a human being trying to win another human being, at that point it would be very easy for you and I to belittle them to put them down, to make them feel ashamed in order to win our point. True shepherd, my friends, isn't interested in winning his point. He's interested in winning people. So he says, we, we all who have the spirit, we all who are walking in faith, See what he's doing? He's not giving up on them. In fact, not only is he not giving up on them, he's reminding them who they are. And that's so important because how many of you know we can forget who we are sometimes? And even more important, you know what he's telling them? He's telling them, I believe in you. And you know what? We all need somebody to believe in us, don't we? He's convinced that they're going to join him in doing what is right. He says, we walk by faith. And and this is a choice we have to make. Look what he says. Because it is in that sphere of faith and not works where we will find our hope of righteousness. Context is important. First of all, I think the general context in this whole book, we receive righteousness, salvation by faith. That's our hope. And it's a hope, Romans 5, that says, will not make us ashamed. But further, in the immediate context, by faith, we receive our sanctification. As we trust the Holy Spirit to live his life in and through us, it will lead us to righteousness and the experience of righteousness. And look what he adds. In the sphere, the economy of faith, neither circumcision or uncircumcision really matters because neither one of those things bring with it any righteous merit because righteousness comes from God alone, not from what we do. Huge argument. Religious works of any kind carry no merit before God when achieving righteousness. Only the way of faith is the way to glory. And look what he introduces. The glory of the way of faith is because it's the way of love. And love is who God is. And love is what God is all about. And so faith, look what he says in verse six, works through love. You might want to circle that word works. It's a beautiful Greek word. Energia, from which we get energized. When we walk in faith, the Holy Spirit energizes us with the very love from God inside us that then gets expressed through us. Listen, that's such good news. Why is that such good news? Because some people are really hard to love. No elbows. And we sit there without this economy and we say, how am I ever, ever mustering up enough love to be able to love them? And the glory of the new covenant is you don't have to. Whew. And Janet said, hallelujah. (laughs) I don't know, work up love for that guy. Love gets put in us for that guy. Glorious. And so we're able to fulfill the righteousness of the law, which is summed up in two commands, love God, love people. And it's that thought that's gonna dominate Paul's mind the rest of this book. The Holy Spirit who provides us with abundant life. Wonderful. Through faith, the Holy Spirit will free us to love. But before Paul can elaborate on that glory, and he's going to elaborate on that glory, he has a final strong word for the Galatians and a very harsh word for the legalists that are troubling them. We've seen the consequences of turning back to the law as a believer. You do not lose what you possess. But you won't experience what you possess because you're looking at something else. We've seen, secondly, the consecrating power of the Holy Spirit. Why would you ever put your, your focus on something else when you've got the someone who can do all things in and through you by faith? Especially leading to the miracle of love. And so he's got one final thought. It's real simple. He offers a condemnation for the legalist. I want you to look at the language because he paints a real picture. Verse seven, you were running well, dear people. You get the picture immediately, don't you? Paul describes the Christian life as a race. He says, guys, you were running really well in this race. But that's past tense. You're not running so well now. Something has happened. Well, what happened? Look at the verse. Somebody hindered you. That's an okay translation, but you might want to circle the word. It's not literal. It's The Greek word, enekomen, and it means to cut off. Get the word picture. You were running in your lane. The lane was grace and it was wonderful. And then somebody from another lane cut in front of you and blocked you from going further down that lane. Are you getting it? They didn't belong in your lane. And what they brought to you didn't belong in your lane. They brought law. You're on the path of grace, man. They brought works. You're on the path of faith. They brought a focus on you and what you're doing when in your original lane, your focus was entirely on God and all that he had done. You get the picture? How dare they do that? Get a little angry here. You know why? Angry people accomplish things. Read the Bible. One of the most angry men in the entire Old Testament was Moses. And God channeled that anger and delivered a nation. Read the New Testament. Honestly. One of the most angry men in the New Testament is a guy named Paul. Paul channeled that anger. The Holy Spirit channeled that anger and used it to set the Christian nation free. Angry people will do something. And Paul's a little angry here. You don't belong in your lane. And what they brought to you doesn't belong in your lane. Look at the language. They're keeping you from obeying the truth. What truth are we talking about? Grace. Oh my goodness, did you just see that? The grace of God is a command. The church is treating it like it's an option, an elective course. No, 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 you're commanded to walk in grace. Because look at verse eight, the economy of grace comes from God himself. The grace of God is heaven sent. That's why it's so hard for human minds to grasp it. We are birthed into an economy of working in order to get something. And the grace of God says, let me give you that for free. That's hard to deal with. Everything in us wants to do something to merit it. So please hear me. Though it is called the new covenant, there's nothing new about it. God has always been with grace in man. God birthed mankind in grace. Have you ever thought about that? You can't deserve to be created. When man fell, what was the charge? In the day you eat, you will die. Did they eat? Did they die? Not really. Oh, they died in their spirit. They lost the life of God. But well, let's be honest. They kept on living. That was grace. God didn't wipe them out. Instead, he provided them with a way back to life. And the way back to life, that was grace too. Did God say, here's what you need to do to get right with me? That's not what he said. He said, here's what I'm going to do to get you right with me. I'm going to send through your seed one who's going to crush the serpent's head. Even when God gave the written law of Moses, what was its real purpose? To lead man away from the law and back to God. Galatians 2.19, remember, for through the law, I died to the law that I might live unto God. It's almost like the law is going, boy, what are you doing here? Get back to where you're supposed to be. The law never came From God, it came to man by the choice of man when man ate from the wrong tree. God calls you, present tense. He's constantly calling you to himself. He's constantly calling you away from everything else that will never give you life. So verse nine, stay away from the law. Even one law, just a little, leavens the whole lump. I'm sorry to use this illustration. I really am for some of you. Because you're going through it. But it's the best illustration I have. The law, even one, is like one cancer cell. One cancer cell can metastasize. and spread through the whole body. And Paul is saying to the church, it's almost like he's got them by the cheeks. Do you understand, church? If you just add one law, like a cancer, it will spread through the whole body. Legalism kills faith. Legalism kills the body of Christ because it abhors faith. Faith alone connects you to the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit can bring you life. And it's almost as if in verse 10, Paul says, I know you see this. Look at what he says in verse 10. I believe in you. You will have no other way. I know it than the way of grace. You're going to become grace purists. I know it. And whoever it is who's disturbing you, he's going to bear his own judgment. Now, please understand, this is not saying there's one ringleader. Don't misinterpret that. We've already seen in Galatians that there are many. What he's saying here is this. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what their title is. It doesn't matter what their experience is. Let me put it in the modern language. It doesn't matter how big their church is. It doesn't matter if they have doctorate before their name. It doesn't matter how large their television radio ministry is or their radio ministry is. It doesn't matter how many books they've written If somebody leads you away from Jesus to pursue even one law to merit righteousness or acceptance before God, they're going to bear judgment for it. Why? Remember what Jesus said? Woe to him who causes his brother to stumble. Remember what Jesus said? If you lead one of these little ones astray, it'd be better if you have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. And then Paul makes this weird addition. Look at verse 11. If I preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? If I I preach circumcision, the stumbling block of the cross would have been abolished. You say, what in the world is going on? We've got to go to the context of the rest of the Bible. Paul, you remember, had circumcised Timothy. Timothy was half Jewish. Remember in 1 Corinthians, he said, to the Jew, we become Jews. So why did he circumcise Timothy? So Timothy could be used to minister to Jews he was not circumcising Timothy because he was teaching works righteousness. Make sense? What does that tell us the legalists were doing? And this is a real great insight into legalists. They're actually using Paul's circumcision of Timothy to prove their case that people need to follow the law. Interesting legalists, you know, they'll go to any lengths to support their case. They will name drop their arch enemy. No scruples at all. They're not really interested in truth. They're only interested in gaining a following and being right in their own eyes. You know what else this says about legalists? They'll take things out of context in order to prove their point. Paul says, do not believe them when they say I'm with them. If I was preaching circumcision or works, they wouldn't be persecuting me. The cross would no longer be causing people to stumble, and they're big time stumbling. By the way, why do people stumble over the cross? Because the cross nullifies all their religious good works and counts them as nothing, and men like, do not like being told that their religious good deeds count nothing, and it stings their pride. Remember when the legalists stoned Stephen? This is interesting, fascinating even, their choice of words. When the legalists stoned Stephen, they did not say we're doing this because he worships Jesus. You know what they said? He's preaching against what we do. Isn't that amazing? If you're doing wrong, wouldn't you want to be told you're wrong so you could do what's right? Legalists are such a hindrance to the cause of Christ they're so deceitful, manipulative, arrogant, and cunning as they seek to lead believers away from Jesus to follow the law that the body of Christ better deal with them. And so in Paul's frustration over the damage they're causing, he blurts out one of the harshest statements in the entire Bible. Now, my friends, I read a lot. And I re- people had a lot to say about this statement that he's going to make. I read words like, shameful, shameful. Horrific, crude, uncalled for. One even said slanderous. I would remind you that according to 2 Peter 1, the Holy Spirit wrote these words. So the Holy Spirit is actually the one who determined that these words needed to be said and said really strong. Legalists are wreaking havoc on the cause of Christ. They keep people from coming to Christ and they lead believers who come to Christ away from Christ. So Paul says, and look at verse 12, I wish that those who are troubling you would mutilate themselves. That is so nicely translated. I can see the translators. Translators. Let's be careful to not offend anyone here. We all need to get along. And so they twist the scripture. No. Remember how Paul started this section today? Behold, open your eyes. See what's happening right in front of you and stop it from happening. I wish they would mutilate themselves. Circle the word if you would, it's apocopto. It literally means cut off and was actually used in the Koine Greek for castration. So I'm going to give you Frank's amplified version of the Bible today. If those legalists are so bent on performing human achievement to merit righteousness before God... And since they think circumcision, the removal of a little skin, will please God, why don't they really be devoted and cut the whole thing off? Oh, Paul, did you really have to say that? Now, don't sit there and say, no, if Paul didn't say it, Frank did, because Paul did. <laughs> yes, my friends, I believe he had to. People are being seduced by slick-talking deceivers with a message that appealed to their pride that they could really do something for God. It's a great motive, doing for God, but a really poor method. The glory of the gospel, my friends, is what God did for us. What God did for us. Not what we do for God. God. And these people needed to be shocked so that they could see the hideousness of what they were doing. They were taking the focus off what God did, putting the focus on what they do, thinking that cutting off a little piece of skin could add to the immeasurable worth of the blood of the Son of God. Really? God shed his blood. God shed his blood. And these legalists are saying, oh, yes, he did. But we're going to add to that with a little piece of skin. Oh, the glory of what we do for God. He should be so impressed with what we do. After all, we're impressed with it. And Paul says, stop it. Stop dead in your tracks. Get your eyes off of yourself so you can see him and the glory of what he's done for you. If you really have spiritual eyes, you will not allow your gaze to be turned to anything but the marvel of the great love that he has for you manifested at the cross in the awe and wonder of his grace freely bestowed upon you and received by faith. And all faith really is, my friends, is a declaration that we believe what God has done and we're saying thank you. It's at the cross where God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He made us brand new creations of God. He made us the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm gonna offer a very simple prayer. Would you stand? Oh, Father, may we never, ever get over the cross. May we never, ever get over the cross where Jesus died and we died in him. For it is through that cross that we were made sufficient, made okay, made right, made dwellable, so that you could come and live in and through us by the Spirit and empower us with your own life to live free in devotion to you, receive love from you, and then extend love back to you and also love others. Wow. Stun us with the glory of your love in Jesus' name. That does it for today's episode. We'll be back again next Tuesday as we continue Pastor Frank's series on Galatians. But don't forget, again this Friday, we'll be sharing our next edition of Conversations in Grace with Jesse and Pastor Tim. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. If you are, please consider leaving us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you Friday.